Man, I mean, that's, you know, almost impossible to overcome. I said something <laughs> lame about not being there to motivate them, but, you know, or whatever. But in retrospect, I didn't handle it well. What is up, BA family? And welcome to another episode of the Breathe and Air podcast, where everyday action meets extraordinary mindset. Today, we have one of the top five most awarded speakers in the world. He has written over 20 books, three of them being bestsellers. He is the founder of the Cathcart Institute, a musician, and just like your host, was actually born in Little Rock, Arkansas, Jim Cathcart. Jim is one of the top five most award-winning speakers in the world, and his top 1% TEDx video has over 2.5 million views. I've been lucky enough to establish a bit of a relationship with Jim through a mutual mastermind that we've been in over the past couple of months, and every time, Jim tends to drop a bar that just makes your head turn. And I can say without a doubt that today's episode is absolutely no exception to that. As someone with all these accolades and awards, you have to still start somewhere. And today we dive a little bit into Jim's origin story from his love from Earl Nightingale at an early age to breaking apart from the pack and even traveling over 150,000 miles on his Harley to playing live music in Nashville. This guy has done it all and it was my absolute pleasure to have him on the show. If this is your first time listening today, welcome to the BA family. We're so grateful to have you, and we love to hear your feedback. So if you enjoyed today's episode, go let us know over on Apple Podcasts or give us a rating on Spotify or wherever you're listening. And if you haven't already, go check us out on Instagram at Breathing Air Podcast and shoot me a DM. Let me know what you thought of the show today. Your insight is always valued and you help us move the show forward to reach new heights. We have some really cool stuff coming out, some exclusive communities and things that are going to help us create that circle of people that we want to be with in order to level up in all those areas of life, mentally, physically, spiritually, in our businesses, in our relationships. So I'm so excited to be able to put that out for you guys. But until then, enjoy our incredible Texan barbecue eating guitar playing guest Jim Cathcart. Yay! <laughs> Thank you. Mason. Yeah, it's awesome. So, Jim, you and I have, you know, been able to create a relationship through the uh, world's best mastermind and it's been so, you know, amazing for me to be a part of that group. But it's funny when I was, you know, looking at some of the stuff getting ready for the show. And when we first met, I'm like, Little Rock, Arkansas, loves music, lives in Texas mm -hmm. now. I'm like, look at all these parallels. We're, we're basically brothers at this point. Absolutely. <laughs> Plus, I've been in Nashville. Uh, let's see, I was there in July and I was there again in August, both times at the Opryland Hotel, you know, the big one. For a yep. huge conference, uh, National Speakers Association for one, and Toastmasters International World Convention was the second one, and I had the privilege of being the keynote speaker for that event, which was amazing, 149 countries. 
And as we were saying before we went on the air, I went downtown and I was roaming Broadway and got a chance to play and sing on stage at Tootsie's. And I had performed at Acme in, in, uh, on Broadway uh, for a one, did a one-hour show for the National Speakers Association uh, the month before. Yeah. Loving Nashville. It's absolute, absolutely amazing. You are not a one-trick pony, sir. It's, it's <laughs> awesome to see, see the style that you bring to so many different avenues of life. But I want to start out here. We're, I'm going to say a couple of sentences, a couple of words, bars have you, and you can finish the sentence. I think, I think it might resonate with you. So it's a style of cooking. It's a tasty, it's a tasty treat. treat. It's a, it's southern, a southern man's, man's religion. Entirely, entirely based, based on, on meat. meat. <laughs> <laughs> Where is this coming from? Let everyone know, because I am a huge yeah. barbecue fan. <laughs> a friend of mine, Franklin Kofod, out in California, he was a hiker that I saw two or three times a week on the trails. And he said, hey, we're having a barbecue, bring your guitar. And I said, now this is California. Are you really having a barbecue <laughs> or are you just cooking outdoors? He said, well, what's the difference? I said, oh, man, I said, I got to write a song. So I did. And I'll give you a taste of it. Here we go. This is what you signed up for. I love it. Yep. Since the song is about barbecue, I figured I'd call that a taste of it, right? <laughs> it's a style of cooking. It's a tasty treat. It's a southern man's religion entirely based on meat. It's a taste of home, a taste of love, and the thrill of Mountain Dew. It's a touch of heaven with a dash of hell, and we call it barbecue. <laughs> we love it. We love it, man. As a southern boy growing up, it's my favorite food, and I'm very picky in particular about my barbecue. But do you have a favorite spot in Austin? I Well, it, 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 there's more than one. Franklin's probably has the best barbecue, bar none. It's just, uh, I mean, their brisket is like eating pudding. Yeah. It's so good. And uh, Terry Black's or Black's Barbecue, either one. Um, it goes on and on. I got a bunch of them. And Saturday night, I'm performing at Cooper's Barbecue on South Lamar in downtown Austin. We have a li a nice listener base in Austin. So anyone listening, you got to go check Good. out Jim and tell him you heard him on Breathing Air Podcast. There you go. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I live in Steiner Ranch, just so folks will know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Speaking of the music, you know, you've you've spoken on stages in front of thousands of people, but where's one of the cooler places that, you know, you've been able to play music? Like which one sticks out to you? Well, you know, there's the professional speaking side of me, which is 3,400 gigs all over the world. And then there's the performing musically and uh it's, many of my speeches in recent years I've incorporated music. But for the longest time, never did that. Um, but I played in Nashville. One time I was at, um, it may have been at Opryland, but I was, I was at a convention, uh, you know, a business convention in Nashville. And in the middle of my talk, I had planted a question from the audience. And I, I, I got to a point where I was saying, folks, you know, something we've got to do is in addition to being all business, we need to make time for what we love. 
because if we don't, that we're going to feel incomplete and it's going to show up on the job. And the guy in the audience took the cue and he said, do you practice what you preach? And I said, of course I do. So he reached under the table and pulled out a guitar <laughs> and he handed it to me. He said, go right ahead. And I said, well, okay. And the audience went, what? And I, I did. I believe in music. I could just sit around making music all day long, you know, Absolutely. that kind of a thing and involved the audience and just had a blast with it. But I've done, man, I've, I've spoken on stage, you know, on, on um, the big stages in a lot of places, but the most fun ever, I came, I, I was in Louisville, Kentucky, speaking for Vermeer Manufacturing, makes big earth moving equipment and farm equipment. Mm-hmm. kind of like John Deere. Yeah. And um, they said, we're going to be meeting at the rodeo arena because we've got all our new products displayed out in the arena and the people will be up in the stands and you'll be on a stage speaking to them. I said, okay. So we go over there early that morning and uh, there's about 400 people in the group and they're starting to filter into the stands and I look at the stage, and it's like 100 miles away from them <laughs> out in the center of this arena. And I'm thinking, how in the world is this going to work? And then they say, well, come here, Jim. This is Larry. He's going to bring you in. I said, okay. And <laughs> Larry says, follow me. And we go walking out of the arena. And we walk down one of the ramps, you know, where the bulls come running in for the yep. rodeo and all that. And... uh when we get down this ramp, I look up and there's a two story tall monster truck. Oh, wow. And that's Larry's. <laughs> and he says, I'll bring you in in this. And I said, uh, 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 how, yeah. how do I get up there? He said, climb. So I put my foot on the tread and then grab the hub and then grab the tread and then grab the fender and then grab the step and then did a, pull up and then got the door and climbed into the cab. And now I'm wearing a suit, (laughs) wingtip shoes, tie the whole thing. Right. And so I'm sitting up in the cab and Larry, (laughs) Larry turns the key, but he doesn't start the engine yet. And the arena goes dark. And all of a sudden there's a spotlight on the stage. And an announcer says, ladies and gentlemen, Please welcome our keynote speaker, Jim Cathcart. And Larry goes, <laughs> and this thing comes to life. And man, flames are shooting out of the exhaust, and there's lights under the wheel wells and inside the cab and all that. And, and we come charging out of this ramp, and we go airborne. And we wow. bounce a little bit, and then he tears across this arena, and he's shooting dirt up behind us, and he goes up on two wheels, turning around to come back, and stops in front of the stage. And and he says, okay. And I said, okay, what? He said, jump. <laughs> wow. And I threw the door open, and I thought, what the hell? you know? And I jumped, and luckily I didn't fall down. And I got down on the stage and, and got my bearings, and he drove off, and Everybody's cheering, and I had to follow that. And I'm sure if it was one of the most exciting speeches I ever gave, it looked like one of the least exciting by comparison. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm sure the adrenaline was running at that point. 
You're hyped up. Totally. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) That is that is definitely that's a good story in terms of uh, something you'll never forget. Climbing up into a monster truck. Yeah, you wouldn't think that's how you would get introduced for a keynote, but I'll tell you what, (laughs) that's awesome. What state was that? I got up and chewed the group out. He was angry at them, and and uh, they had not been cooperating because. Their organization had forced everybody to stay two extra weeks when they would normally have a vacation after school to go home and, you know, live their life and see their family before they started the next phase of their education. It was medical. And uh, so everybody was moping around and, and not participating in the presentations. And I was brought in to present. And this doctor gets up in front of the group and chews them all out and tells them they're acting like children and that they ought to be ashamed of themselves and that he was disgusted by them. And then he says, now I'm brought in a motivational speaker. Maybe he can do something with you. Here's Jim Cathcart. (laughs) Man, you're like, uh, I didn't tell him to say that. Don't boo me off the stage. My life flashed in front of my eyes. Man, I mean... That's, you know, almost impossible to overcome. I said something <laughs> lame about not being there to motivate them, but, you know, or whatever. But in retrospect, I didn't handle it well. Right. <laughs> that was early in my career, thank heavens. So speaking of earlier in your career, you know, we see this larger than life Jim now who has, you know, this crazy Rolodex of things that you have been able to accomplish and people that you've been able to inspire. But there was really this one point in time for you that I want to go back to that kind of sparked it all. And it was when you heard Earl Nightingale and the words that he said of one hour a day for five years, you can become an expert in anything. What mm-hmm. put us in that mind frame and what was happening at that point in your life? Well, the year was 1972. 72. That was a long time. <laughs> and I was a 26-year-old clerk. I'll save people the math. I'm, I'm 76 today. Um, but I was a 26-year-old clerk working at the Urban Renewal Agency, the housing authority in Little Rock, Arkansas. And uh, since you know Little Rock, this was on <laughs> Roosevelt Road at the end of Main Street. And um, so I was working in their field office. And I was an assistant to a guy who didn't need help. His name was Bob Moore, and he was bored. So you can imagine what his helper experienced. <laughs> so I sat there and I read books on urban renewal, you know, and I, uh, I tried to fill my time. I had so much spare time that I was able to read the Bible cover to cover wow. at work, at work in three months. Jeez. Oh, my gosh. So (laughs) I'm sitting there, 50 pounds overweight, smoking two packs a day, newly married with a baby at home, no money in the bank, no college degree, didn't know anybody, you know, no connections to open doors. And on the radio in the next room is this deep voice. It's Earl Nightingale, who was on 900 radio stations around the world at that time. And um, he said, if you will spend an hour extra, Every day, studying your chosen field, in five years or less, you'll be a national expert. In seven years, an international expert. Mm. 
And I did the math. And that works out, you know, let's say it's an hour a day, five days a week, 50 weeks a year. Well, times five years, that's 1,250 hours. If you studied one narrow subject, not a wide subject like management, but, you know, a, a narrow subject like hiring practices or uh, managing systems or something like that, that subject only for five years, yeah, you'd be an expert on it. So I had a new problem. I believed what he said, but I didn't know what I wanted to be an expert on. And I was a government clerk. Heck, I had eight hours a day. Hmm. So, you know, what am I going to do? And it hit me a couple of weeks later. I want to do what he does. Well, I didn't know what he does. I just knew it felt right that somehow I knew on a deeper level that that was the field. This was the field I wanted to get into, the field of, of human development. So I took him at his word and became fanatical about it. And I started studying all the classic works like Think and Grow Rich and The Power of Positive Thinking and How to Win Friends and Influence People and, you know, Zig Ziglar's See You at the Top a few years later. Um, it, I just became fanatical about it. And then I found out that Earl Nightingale himself had a whole library of audio recordings in a series called Lead the Field. Little things that looked like books oh, yeah. that were on audio cassettes yeah. with the transcript. 20-minute messages on basically how to succeed. Yeah. And the 48 tapes in that library cost $560. My income at the time was 525 a month. So it adjusted for inflation, inflation that's about $3,500 today. Right. So when I was making $525 a month, I bought a $560 motivational library mm. and became literally fanatical about listening to it. I mean, every day, as often as I could, every time I got in the car, entire weekends, I'd have the cassette player playing these recordings until the batteries ran down. Then I'd go buy some more and um, I did that for five years. And during that five years, I started doing better on the job. And then I got a raise. And then I got promoted to assistant to the board of directors of the housing authority. And then I got another raise. And then I got the opportunity to go out on my own selling Earl Nightingale's motivational recordings to businesses. And I did that. And then I got a call from the... Uh, uh, national headquarters of the Junior Chamber of Commerce at the JCs, and they were big at the time, 360,000 members. Mm. And they said, how would you like to be leadership training director for the entire nation? Wow. For $1,000 a month. Whoa. <laughs> that was double what I had been making. Yeah. And so I said, absolutely. And I did it. And then I was flying all over the country giving speeches at JC's conventions. And JC's a, a civic club. It's like Kiwanis or Rotary or something like that. And But it was for young people. And I had been active in a local chapter. So I'm, now I'm on the national headquarters staff in charge of leadership training. And I ended up working with people like Zig Ziglar, 
And I joined the National Speakers Association and got to know Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, who wrote The Power of Positive Thinking. Mm. And I knew W. Clement Stone and Og Mandino, who had worked with Napoleon Hill, the author of Think and Grow Rich. And I I knew people that were good friends with Dale Carnegie. Mm. You know, so this is like Thomas Edison, my friends, me. That much removed. I I literally knew a guy who passed away recently who was a personal assistant, executive assistant to Thomas Edison. Wow. Yes. That's His name was James Newton. James and Ellie Newton. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. I mean, it's funny. I and mean, I have a similar, you know, experience. Whenever, but for me, it was podcasts. You know, I started mm-hmm. listening to podcasts similar to you were listening to the tapes and it starts changing. It's funny how whenever you start changing your mindset and investing in yourself, things around you start to happen that aren't normal, quote unquote, right. right? Yeah. What is that about? Well, by the about- way, let's, let's establish a fact going into your story. Yeah. Success is abnormal. Hmm. Normal people don't succeed. Extraordinary people succeed. Hmm. They're normal people who chose to do the extra beyond ordinary. And that's how they became extraordinary. Back to your story. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's amazing. And something that we have to always remind ourselves. Anybody that listens to this wants to achieve, you know, more than what they currently are. They're ambitious. They want to be high performers. And it's easy to get caught up in that am I doing enough? Am I enough? Right. These questions that we ask ourselves. So to your point, I mean, that's a great daily reminder. Success is not normal. And to be able to celebrate those wins when you have them. Yeah. When I first started becoming so fanatical about personal development, lots of good things were occurring, but, but one of the negative things that occurred in a way it's negative was my circle of friends were no longer interested in getting together with me. They still liked me okay, but they didn't want to hang with me because I was too intense. I was all about goal setting and personal development and what books have you read and, you know, let's let's set a bigger goal. Let's, let's go for the brass ring. And, and they were saying, nah, let's go fishing and get some beer and, you know, I'll see you down at the lake. Yeah. Um, so my circle of friends drifted away, but a new circle of friends started forming hmm. and they were like you and me, they were really into this. Yeah. And so that just fueled my fire and got me going even stronger. Yeah. I think that's a huge piece of a lot of people's challenge when they're trying to make this leap, whether it's even family, sometimes friends, people they've been yeah. around with pulling them down. How can someone in that position, what worked for you to where you were able to find that new circle and really create that, you know, that family or that crew came slowly. Uh, at first it was just, you know, the people were drifting away and I joined a a local JC's chapter, junior chamber of commerce. And, uh, they were all about leadership training. Hmm. And so this was at the peak of the baby boom when, like I said, 360,000 members, but their the people they appealed to were all people under 36 years old. And I was. And so that those are people that want to figure out what they're going to do when they grow up. 
And I didn't know. So I needed to learn goal setting. I needed to learn project planning. I needed to learn how to organize resources and solve problems and motivate volunteers and and communicate better with other people and present ideas in a persuasive way and, you know, all the things that leaders need to learn to do. Uh, and I learned them awkwardly. Mm. You know, they say, how do you become a good speaker? Give a lot of bad speeches <laughs> <laughs> and pay attention. Because yeah. I, I gave 400 free speeches before I ever got paid. Mm. And now I've been paid for 3,400 speeches, Incredible. millions of dollars. Incredible. Yeah. When, when you had your first time on stage, what was that like? Like, whoa, whoa, take us back to that moment. Lord. First <laughs> time on stage was presenting at JC's meetings. Yeah. And it was just, I, I would get up and just be all full of myself and do what I thought was impressive. Right. But it was about me impressing you with me, mm. you know? Hey, let's talk about me, right? Oh, I've talked about myself too much. What do you think about me? <laughs> it yeah. was all, all self-focused and just very, very egotistical and, right. and immature. And I had some embarrassing moments where someone would ask me a sincere question and I'd give them a flippant answer and act like I knew more than I did. And those, the, you know, it just felt slimy. It, and I vowed to myself, I'm not going to do that again. And so that helped me grow up. Yeah. Being caught in those awkward moments. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody has to start somewhere. Everybody yep. has to start somewhere. The, you've, you've been able to, you know, not only take some of these skills that you had, you know, creating, you know, your speaking sales, these skills that you had early on, it seems, right? You were crafting those. Little did you know how you would use them later. But when I heard you talk about, um, you know, whenever you first had a, uh, you had a, it was doing sales training with, I think it was Tidy Car. Was it Tidy Car? Yeah. And, yeah. and a guy by the name of Tim, right? And the concept of, you have to first become and act like the person that you want to be in order to get there. What, right. what was that story? Well, first off, Tidy Car is an auto detailing company that was based in uh, Mississauga, Ontario, Toronto, Canada. And um, they found me. I don't remember how they found me, but they uh, hired me to, to do a seminar in Chicago in 1979 in the dead of winter. Um, and it was a small group of people that had bought a $1,500 franchise to do auto detailing using the tidy car products. And they all came together in Chicago for this region, uh, to get the training they needed. And I was brought in to teach them how to build a business. Hmm. So I was teaching them sales skills and management skills. And in my audience that day was this young guy, Tim Seward, S-E-W-A-R-D, 19 years old. And he was from Bay City, Michigan. And he said, Mr. Cathcart, could I sit with you during lunch? And I said, sure. So we sat together after my seminar. And he asked me a thousand questions and I did my best to answer. And then he said, one last question. And I said, okay. He said, do you have a quote? A quote. He said, you know, a slogan, a saying, something I can, you know, say to myself every day to motivate myself. 
I said, no. He said, really? And I said, well, no, I've got something better than that. I've got a question. And I want you to ask yourself this question every single day. Show you what the question is. How would the person I'd like to be do the things I'm about to do? Mm. How would the person I'd like to be do the things I'm about to do? That's a mouse pad that I had it printed on. Yeah. Um, he said, so I find someone I want to be like. And I said, that you focus on the future you. Mm. Not how would Jim Cathcart do this? Not how would Mason do this? How would the future me do this? And he said, oh, and I said, tell me about Tim Seward when he's older and more experienced and has achieved mastery in this field. And he said, oh, I get it. How would the future Tim do today's Tim work? And I said, exactly. Hmm. So he went back home to Bay City and he applied that fanatically and transformed his world. Mm. I mean, seriously, because they called me, Tidy Car called me like 10 months later, and they said, we want you to be the keynote speaker at our international sales convention in New Orleans, Louisiana. It's going to be a big celebration and people are coming from all over the world to, to attend this. And we're going to give away a brand new Chevrolet Corvette to the sales leader. And so I said, sure. And I went down there and Dr. Dennis Waitley, a good friend of mine who wrote a book called The Psychology of Winning, he was there. And then I was the MC and, and main speaker. And um, on stage, there's a Corvette and the room's all set up fancy for a big gala. And uh, all these tidy car people are there. Now, these are people that are auto detailers. So it's not real fancy, but it's fancy enough. Yeah. And for them, it's a huge big deal. And it was for me as well. And they said, okay, thank you, Jim. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to announce the winner. Here are the results of the competition. The person in position number two led the person in position number three by only one point in our competition. Three led four by one point, four led five by two points, five led six by one point. It was a close competition, except for first place. The person in position number one led number two by 300 points. Welcome with me, your international sales leader from... Michigan. Bay City, Michigan, <laughs> Tim Seward. The place went insane. Now, he, Tim's a 19-year-old kid and a lovable guy. And so they picked him up on their shoulders and they're parading him around the room and music's playing, the lights are going like this, you know. And uh, they put Tim up on the stage and people are hugging each other. A few people took advantage of that. And uh, Tim's up there caressing his car as much as you can do that to a car. And I walked over and gave him a bear hug. And I said, way to go. Good for you. I said, what in the world did you do? He said, I just did what you said in Chicago. I got my pen and I said, specifically, <laughs> what did I say in Chicago that was so good? And he laughed. And he said, the daily question, how would the person I'd like to be do that? And, and, and I said, well, tell me the story. 
He said, well, I went back home and I asked, how would Tim, the international sales leader, do today's work? And I upgraded everything I did. I dressed better for, for the job. I did a more thorough job for each client. I organized my files better. I went down to the Chevy dealer and test drove a Corvette, got a big brochure of it and put it on my wall, looked at it every day. And when time came to go to New Orleans, I didn't know if I'd won, but I knew I was in the running. And so I asked myself, how would the international sales leader go to New Orleans? And I figured he'd go first class. (laughs) One way. And I said, are you serious? Doesn't that seem a little foolhardy? He said, Jim, do you think I'll need a ride home? Good point. Good point, Tim. You win. Oh, man. (laughs) But what a great example of applying a simple idea and transforming your own life Mm. profoundly by practicing that with absolute focus. Mm. Yeah, you and I have talked about this before, but with Think and Grow Rich, right? It's it's that concept of finding that one thing and drawing your attention to it and everything that you see. It's the reticular activation center right behind your eye. You yeah. see a yellow car on, you know, the TV and you're like, oh, I really like that car. And then you start driving around. You start seeing a lot of yellow cars that are exactly the same, yeah. right? And as soon as you buy one, you see even more of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. how important is visualization and, and being able to have that central focus to our success? Well, if you look at what major sports teams do, like, you know, say Tampa Bay Buccaneers when when Tom Brady took them to the Super Bowl and won, uh, a big part of their training was mindset training. Because mm. when you look at the guys out on that field, both teams, including the guys on the bench, they're all world-class talent. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't even be in that arena if they weren't. So they've already proven they have all the physical skills, all the mental skills, all the all the practice and everything else. They are ready to perform at a world-class top of the food chain level. But the thing that separates the two teams at the end of the game, and it often comes down to a last five-second squeaker, is Absolutely mindset, not skill set. Mm. I mean, look at the U.S. Hockey, hockey team that won against the Russians years ago, you know, the, the miracle on ice. Yeah. That, was, that was a team with less talent mm-hmm. that beat a superior team strictly through optimizing what talent they did have with the mindset. So visualization is a, is a matter of becoming conscious of how you think, how you're looking at things, how you feel about things, and then adjusting that intentionally to generate positive expectations mm-hmm. and to keep that clarity of focus on the one thing you're trying to get done. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. the more clearly you see it, it's like this little sticker that I have on my computer right here in front of me every day. It's from our friend John Mitchell. Yeah. Who's a neighbor of mine here in Austin says what you envision in detail mm. on a daily basis appears in your life. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, we see this time and time again, too, right? The, the story of the prisoner of war who, to keep himself sane, he would envision himself, you know, golfing. You love golf, and he'd envision yeah. that stroke over and over yep. and over again. Eventually, he was saved about two years later from capture, goes back and shoots the best round of his life. Exactly. <laughs> he's like, he swears. Without practicing. Yep. Without physical practice. Yeah. My, it, it, yeah. A good friend of mine, Captain Charlie Plum, was uh, in the Hanoi Hilton at the same time as the man you're referring to. Mm. And so was another man I knew who passed away recently, Captain Jerry Coffey, Navy captain. And uh, Charlie Plum was my neighbor in California until I moved to Texas. And he was in for six, six and a half years as a prisoner being tortured and humiliated daily by the North Vietnamese. And um, he said, we used to have prayer meetings using the scratch code, taking a little piece of wire or a stick and just going, <laughs> and, you know, scratching out a code to communicate each other yeah. with each other. He said, and then we would have Toastmasters meetings. We would give speeches. Whenever we'd get together and they'd give us some time together, we would practice communicating better. And uh, he said, it just, we made our time useful. Mm. And the thing that strikes me is that all of those guys that were in there, not all of them, but most of them came out of there. The ones that were in there the longest time came out of there as peaceful, um, uh, focused people, you know, people that, that their life works. And you'd think, man, they'd be depressed. They'd be, they'd be angry. You know, they'd be hair trigger. You say something and it sets them off. Nope. The exact opposite. Hmm. The ones that were in there a short time, sure. They came out of there bitter Hmm. and angry and wanting to get even. The ones that had been there for a long time had figured out how to cope, Hmm. had made peace with the fact that this was their lot in life for the time being. And they they lived and still are living in many cases an abundant life now. Hmm. How important is acceptance of those emotions, those times in our life? You know, it's it's easy to push back against the negative times and accept the positive times. How important is it for our flow in life and for our happiness and, and for what we want to accomplish to be able to accept and be present with all spectrum of emotions? Vitally important, and it, and there's a big part of that that makes it work, and that is acceptance without judgment, mm. or while suspending judgment anyway. So you find yourself in an awful situation. If you invest in it emotionally, if you say, "Okay, this is not fair, this is wrong," and and you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get even, or I'm gonna whatever, right? Somebody owes me. Uh, then you're not going to get over it. It's going to stick with you and you're going to carry that feeling around as well as that actual memory. But if you can delay investing in it emotionally long enough to get perspective and to just say, okay, you know, I I lost a leg. So I got to figure out a new way to live. We'll deal with how I feel about that later. But right now I got to figure out how to get across this room with only one leg. 
Or, okay, I, I was ruined financially by a business partner that betrayed me. Next, you yep. know, <laughs> so you know, that's something for the courts to settle maybe or something you may have to just let go. By the way, I had that happen. And I went to a lawyer and I sat with him and I said, here, you know, I was betrayed and and uh, lost hundreds of thousands of dollars and and I want my money back. Yeah. And he said, well, he said, Jim, first off, let me say, you're right. He was wrong. Uh, he owes you. But he didn't have the money. And if we go to court, you're going to win. But you're probably never going to see the money. Hmm. So how important is it to you to say, I won, I'm right, and, and they've proven he was wrong, versus getting back to living an abundant life? Mm. And I said, well, what can I do? He said, let it go. I said, I can't yet. <laughs> he said, I know. He said, but you can set it aside for the moment mm. and get on with living and forget about trying to get even. Mm. And I did. And I, I went through, oh, maybe a total of two years, sort of a post-divorce syndrome or, you know, post-traumatic stress uh, scenario. Yeah. And if you didn't know me well, you couldn't tell anything was wrong. But if you knew me very well, you would know there was a disturbance in the force. But at the end of about a two-year cycle, I'd bounce back fully. And, you know, today I remember it, but I don't carry any lingering resentment. Yeah. Yeah. I love that to be able to set it aside and realize that, yeah. you know, it's going to take time for this to pass. It's not something that I can just get over right away and I don't have to beat myself up to not get over it right away because I'm a human right. with emotions. And you can still feel hurt and, and feel resentful and, you know, and angry and, and betrayed and all those things. Mm -hmm. Just don't invest in the payback. Don't keep yourself in that game when you could be building above ground instead. Yeah. Because that's just going to pull you underground and keep you down there as long as you're trying to do whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. One of, um, you know, your best-selling books, correct me if I'm wrong, is Think Like an Oak. Well, it's called The Acorn Principle. The Acorn Principle. The message is Think the Like an Oak. Principle. Yeah, yeah. Where did you come up with this principle? Because it's... It's very intriguing. How did you, I mean, I love it. How did they come up with it? Well, the book is a self-guided tour of you. I I'd spent some time with a, a group of psychological researchers at the psychological testing service at Arizona State University. Uh, and they developed a, a profile, so to speak, or a method of profiling people that measured more than personality type which was what I specialized in back then. In the late 80s, I was teaching personality types. And then I got tired of that because everybody else was teaching it, and I wanted more. So I invested with these folks, and we started measuring multiple intelligences, intellectual bandwidth, that's processing power, uh, personal velocity differences, value priorities, background imprint, things like that. And so I wrote this training course and then a book and the book didn't go anywhere and I was telling my one of my uh, colleagues who had an office near mine about my dilemma and he said well what do you call your book and I said I call it 
rethinking yourself for a new era. He said, nah. He said, you know that little story you tell about a acorn trying to become a giant redwood and they send it to redwood camp and it's hanging out with redwoods and interviewing redwoods. And it's of course never going to be a redwood because it's an oak. But he said, that's, that's a good metaphor for your book. And I said, well, it's in the book. He said, yeah, but it doesn't show, it's not a theme in the book. He said, call your book, the acorn principle. Mm. And I said, well, and by the way, he, is Spencer Johnson, who wrote many million-seller books, like The One-Minute Manager with Ken Blanchard, um, Who Moved My Cheese, which was one of his biggest sellers, and a number of other books. Anyway, Spencer said, call it the Acorn Principle. And I said, but people won't know what that is. He said, and so they will (laughs) pick up the book. And I said, well, good point. So I did, and... It came out in uh, 1998, 99, and 2000 with St. Martin's Press. And in 98, it was uh, hardcover. 99, it was paperback. In 2000, it was an ebook. Hmm. And it ended up being the number two best selling ebook out of 2000 ebooks, which were brand new at the time yeah. in the year 2000. And uh, number one was Stephen King. Number two was The Acorn Principle. Wow. Look at that. It's good company. (laughs) Yeah. You think? Yeah. Now, I'm interested in your process in writing because over 20 books. I mean, amazing. 23 so far. And I've got two more that are written, but they're not published yet. And, And that's incredible. I mean, that is so much wealth of knowledge there. You've also written songs, though. So what is your process with writing? What's your relationship with writing? And how did it kind well, of marry? When I was writing songs like the the one, you know, the barbecue song, that one, I, I almost channeled that song. <laughs> that, that just flowed right through me. Yeah. So it was it, almost no effort. I wrote another song called Riding Free about motorcycles. And that one, that was pretty easy as well. But I found a lot of other songs are just darn hard work. Yeah. Uh, if I'd been trained more in music, then uh, I could probably be much better at it, much more fluid. But when I'm writing a book or writing a training program or something, what I need first is to know what problem am I solving and for whom. So if you say this is for people that do plumbing repair in rural Texas... Um, and, and, uh, what you need to teach them is how to get new accounts. And I just made that up while we're sitting here talking, (laughs) right? Okay. Plumbing repair, rural Texas, how to get new accounts. All right. So the pipeline to more sales in rural Texas, Mm. that's the title for the book. (laughs) Okay. The pipeline to more sales, your pipeline to more sales in rural Texas. And then in the in the book, I, you know, I just start dumping ideas that come up about plumbers, rural Texas, you know, th- that kind of thing. And I, I would say, okay, who who's in rural Texas? Ranchers hmm. more than farmers. Yeah. Okay, so I'd start with a section talking about ranchers or identifying with those, and then I talk about 
what's the difference between the needs of a cowboy and the needs of a rancher or farmer? Um, and then I would talk about what kinds of plumbing, you know, whether it's irrigating a field or fixing the, the bathroom in a house, whether, you know, all these kind of things. Right. And I would just dump all those ideas. And then I'd try to come up with some kind of a story or an example to start the book off. So I might say, um, Mason and his buddy, buddy Bruce were, were driving in their F-150 just west of Fredericksburg. <laughs> and they saw a truck on the, in the ditch that was filled with pipes. And most of them had spilled off on the side. So they stopped and they helped him. You know, I'm making this up yeah. on the spot right now. They stopped and helped the guy get the, the pipes back into his truck and get them bound in place. And the guy was so grateful to them. He said, hey. How about I recommend you to one of my clients because you guys do plumbing and one of my clients needs, you know, an ongoing expert like you to to call on. And they ended up with the biggest account of their career. Hmm. And then I go back and I examine that little story I just made up. What are the dynamics? One is be a good hearted person who's willing to help others in need. So even if that hadn't been plumbing related, they should have stopped and helped. Mm -hmm. You know, second, um, don't don't require that you get paid for everything you do. Mm. Another is look for opportunities and recognize that every relationship could turn into something big. So that's how I write. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Y'all just got a crash course right there. I mean, <laughs> just riffing on the spot. You got to love it. You got to love it. I mean, what, what motivates you at this point to continue going? You have two more books. You know, that rap sheet is so much longer than what I said at the beginning of the accomplishments. <laughs> I mean, you've traveled all over the world, done these things. At 76 years old, you're still going and still more alive than anyone else, right? So how, what pushes <laughs> you? What yeah. keeps you, keeps your light on? Well, first off, I love doing this. I did, when I heard Earl Nightingale on the radio in 1972, I said, that's what I want to do when I grow up. But I didn't even know what that was. Yeah. And then uh, years later, I got to know Earl Nightingale. Wow. I mean, he called, first off, I sold his recordings door to door for a while in 1974. And in 1984, I was in California. I had a training business and the phone rang and it was him calling me. And he said, I read an article of yours that would make a good training program. And that program sold three and a half million dollars worth wow. for Nightingale's company in the years 1984 and 85. So I went from hearing him on the radio to selling his products to him selling my products. And when he passed away in 1989, I was the only outside speaker at his memorial service besides his widow. Wow. So when I say great things are possible, I, I'm speaking from experience. I know how profoundly huge some of these things could be compared to where you start. Um, what motivates me is, first off, I love doing this. What motivates me about guitar is I love playing guitar and singing. Yeah. If I'm alone, that's okay. But if I've got an audience of even one, and that one could be a puppy. <laughs> anything that'll listen yeah. you know I, literally i sat by the lake in california one day and sang to the ducks <laughs> um, but if i've got a live audience 
then that's even better. Yeah. And I, for eight years, my wife and I performed in a nightclub in, in uh, Thousand Oaks, California, Westlake Village, and um, two different clubs. And I would do three hours and never take a break for the bathroom. Jeez. You know, just song after song after song, as long as somebody was listening. And it seemed like I couldn't get enough of it. Well, I, that's the way I feel about the work I do and about the writing. And what I love is like this dialogue. I mean, you fuel my engines mm. and you you pose questions and I have fun coming up with the answers, you know, yeah. so that's what does it for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's so important to find that thing that lights you on fire, right? And and yeah. it's so, it's obvious when you find it, right? Because it's like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, most of my classmates from high school, they don't spend a lot of time being actively engaged. You know, the vast majority of them have gotten to 76 and decided to be 76. Right. Well, I figure, you know, 46 is just as good as 76. Amen. The only difference is 30 more years of mileage on my physical body. Yeah. So I feel about the same as I felt when I was in my 30s and 40s. Yeah. In this business, Um you know, clearly things are vastly different than they were back then, inside and outside. But as far as the energy in me that's trying to get out there and engage, hmm. that's that's pretty much the same. Incredible. You mentioned your, your motorcycle earlier, traveled over yep. 150,000 miles all over the world. But one thing yep. I want to call out about your travels, you've been to 23 different cities in China where you were also doing speaking through a translator, pretty sure with the NSA, correct? So what was that like? No, it wasn't NSA. It was World Master Speakers Bureau out of wow. NSA is an association, so they don't pay. Uh, that's It's like the Bar Association for Lawyers okay. or the Medical Association for Doctors. So I was hired by Dr. David Chu of World Master Speakers Bureau. He had 10 speakers only, and and I got to fill one of the empty spots. And he had Brian Tracy and, and uh, John Gray, who wrote Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. And he had uh, Jay Abraham and Bob Proctor and yeah. Tom Hopkins and uh, Mark Victor Hansen of Chicken Soup for the Soul and me. And, and so I did uh, 19 separate round trips from the U.S. to China wow. for lecture tours between 2015 and 2019. And I, I would do four to six trips a year, round trips. And I spoke in 23 major cities through an interpreter for six hours a day on the platform. Jeez. And um, just uh, to, spoke to hundreds of thousands of people and just fell in love with that country. What a wonderful place. Yeah. You know, that's all politics and government parts aside, the people are beautiful and so is the country. And I was there to help people grow. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, when you can start going across the bounds of language and the barriers of language, it's, it's incredible, right? I mean, it's that had to be a surreal moment for you at that point. Oh, and when I first got there, I was just another white guy in a suit. Right. 
You know, I, I, David told me, I want you to speak on leadership and sales and, and uh, that kind of thing. And I said, okay, but what I found they were reacting to best was when I talked about how to live a meaningful and satisfying life. Mm. And so I would teach them the things I was there to teach them, but I would also tell them stories to encourage them to use their gifts you know, obey the rules, but use your gifts for heaven's sakes, because you've got the chance to make life better in this world. And if you don't, we're all denied what you could have brought. And um, it, that really, really connected with people. And I had a great, great uh, set of of friendships and, and big, big stream of followers that went pretty much wherever I went. It's incredible. It was amazing. And this was all after age like 68. Yeah. I thought my career had pretty much plateaued, you know, that my big moments were behind me. Right. Nope. Yeah. To even add to that, you recently got your degree. What was that like? You mentioned earlier you didn't oh, have a college awesome. degree. <laughs> Uh, no, I don't. I'm a college professor. I'm on the faculty of the uh, California Lutheran University School of Management in their executive MBA program, and I've written college textbooks, uh, and I'm on the advisory councils for, have been on them for uh, Pepperdine University, the University of Akron, Fisher School of uh, Professional Selling in Ohio, uh, you know, for others, and uh, California Lutheran University. School of Management made me their first entrepreneur in residence and put me on their faculty. And I don't have a degree, not even a bachelor. Wow. So a friend of mine who's a president of High Point University in North Carolina, Dr. Nito Kubain, called me May of last year. And he said, am I correct that you don't have a college degree? I said, yep. He said, well, we would like to correct that. Mm. He said, so I want you to come to High Point University, and we're going to give you a degree, an honorary degree in business administration. Wow. And so I went there, and it was a big event with 5,000 people, and there was a private ceremony. Well, private kind of makes it sound small. There was a special ceremony where all 10 of the, business, of the school's deans the School of Management, the School of Medicine, you know, philosophy and all that. All these people came marching in, cap and gown, the bagpiper. I mean, full, yeah. full on deal. And I've got on a cap and gown and I marched in with, with four other people and they presented us with honorary degrees. It was a big, wow. big deal for me. Yeah, that's incredible. It's so inspiring, too, to just see that, you know, your journey is never over, no matter where you're at. It's, it's amazing. Because it gives you a lot to look and forward to. I've got a, I do a program called Going Pro, which is an eight-week program where I mentor people through the process of getting more focused and more, more uh, you know, really underway in, in pursuing their goals. Right. And one of, my, one of my enrollees this past year was a movie producer. And he, he makes mainstream movies, you know, the, the, not a little right. neighborhood movie guy. This is regular theater circuit. And uh, I told him, I said, one of the things I always dreamed about as a kid was being an actor in a movie. He said, you still want to do that? And I said, yeah. 
He said, I think I'll have something for you. Oh, wow. Who knows? You know, next year, maybe I'll be a, get a bit part in a movie. Look at that. Wouldn't that be cool? Look at that. That's amazing. I like it. <laughs> you would be great for sure. There's a question I always like to ask as we wrap up our time, but what is your definition of success? Success, well, Earl Nightingale defined it as the progressive realization, you know, making progress toward a worthy ideal, Mm. a goal. And I think that's pretty good. But I would say it's living fully and living joyfully. Mm. And in order to, to live fully, you've got to be intentional about your mental, physical, family, social, spiritual, career, financial, and emotional life. You got to look at each of those and make sure that they're each getting your attention pretty regularly. You know, you can't do one all the time, but you, you, if whichever one you neglect is going to interrupt the rest of them, say my turn. If you neglect your health, your body will step up sooner or later and say my turn. Mm. Everybody else sit down. We're going to the hospital. Right. Uh, or your finances. Okay, my turn. Everybody else sit down. We're going bankrupt or, you know, whatever. Um, so success is being intentional about each area of your life and looking for the best ways to live it in a meaningful and satisfying way. Mm. Amazing. Kind of a long answer, but no, that's my it. version. I love how it and I'm sticking out. to it. <laughs> Jim, where can everybody find you? I'm going to put all your links in the notes as well, but where can everybody find you and hear more? Easiest way is to remember my name, Jim Cathcart, as one word, and type that in and you know, on, on your computer and hit enter, and it'll come up like three or 400,000 <laughs> links, and uh, just pursue the one that's closest to you. But I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on YouTube, lots of free videos on there. Cathcart.com is my official website. JimCathcart.com is my digital business card. And the fun thing about that little guy is that it is a, uh, it's sort of a summary of everything else about me. And it's got all my social links. It's got my TED Talk with 2.6 million views. It's got a way to get a free ebook from me. It's got a link to Amazon to order books or to sign up for the Going Pro experience and even got scheduling links for, for booking a phone call with me. Amazing. That's, that's, that's the holy grail right there. That's where you got to go. <laughs> yeah. Everyone that's listened this far, I guarantee they want to hear more. They want more. And that's where you got to go. And like you said, a lot of resources there. Well, here's my, here's my uh, request. Yeah. Come with me and let's discover how much more successful you could be. Mm. Mm. Amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Cathcart, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Mason. It was an absolute treat. I'll see you soon. Absolutely. Guys, if you enjoyed today's episode, go check out Jim and everything that he has to offer, as well as share this with somebody who you think would get something from it as well. That is the best gift you can give me. That is the best gift you can give someone as well to be touched by Jim in this show. So continue to keep climbing. Have a great rest of the day.